A class action case between Uber and its drivers currently before the courts raises new questions about the nature of the relationship between platforms like Uber and the people who provide services through them. What could this case mean for platforms like Uber, service providers, or the gig economy as a whole? Welcome to Lawson Insight. I'm Mark Fancourt-Smith, a litigation partner located in Lawson Landell's Vancouver office. And I'm Alexandra Stoichev, a litigation associate located in our Calgary office. Thank you for joining us on our bi-weekly podcast brought to you by Lawson Lindell LLP. Lawson Insight breaks down the latest legal news and updates to give you the information and tips that you need on how the law affects your business. On this episode, we will be speaking with Ryan Berger about the recent Supreme Court of Canada decision in Uber Technologies and Heller, as well as about privacy and employment issues arising in the gig economy as the law tries to catch up with this new disruptive technology. Ryan is a partner in our Vancouver office and has experience representing clients on employment issues as well as privacy, including with respect to data protection, risk management, access to information, and litigation. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Alex. Pleasure to join you in podcast land. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Um, We wanted to use the recent decision in Uber and Heller as an entry point for a discussion around uh, some legal issues that arise in terms of the gig economy, and specifically with respect to platforms like Uber, Lyft, or DoorDash, some of which have been getting a lot of service these days, especially due to the pandemic. And so at the outset, we wanted to ask you two questions. The first is sort of at a 20,000 foot view, could you explain briefly what that case is about in terms of what the court actually decided? And then more broadly, what does the case represent going forward? Great. I'll start with some background. Mr. Heller was a Toronto-based Uber Eats delivery driver. And when a driver logs into Uber's software application, they're presented with a standard form service agreement. It's around 14 pages. Often, (laughs) many of us are presented with these terms of use, but the Uber Eats is particular, as are many platforms like that, because they set up the individual as a contractor with Uber Eats and there are various terms uh, to that and uh, restrictions and to accept the services agreement and be sort of engaged in the platform, the driver has to click, I agree twice. And so there are a number of provisions that are being scrutinized in that case. Uh, One of them is a mandatory arbitration clause that says that uh, any dispute arising from the agreement is to be mediated and arbitrated according to the laws of Netherlands in, uh, under arbitral rules in uh, the International Chamber of Commerce. Also that Uber drivers are independent contractors. And so in 2017, Mr. Heller started a class proceeding against Uber saying that Uber drivers are actually employees, not independent contractors, and so are covered by Employment Standards Act protections. And we can talk some more about that. But one of the big questions I think that arises from this case, and it's a question that I think the courts have to grapple with and we have to deal with as society as well, and those might have two different uh, views, but that's how we should characterize the nature of the relationship that companies like Uber has with contractors. I just want to focus in on some of the issues in the employment context and kind of on the service provider, the the contractor or employee, depending on where the court comes down on its side. 
it's interesting when you said users of the service, it's a bit uh, counterintuitive sometimes because the users of the service are the ones providing services through the service as much as what we think of traditionally as the customer. So what are the, some of the issues that could be decided or that could be influenced by the Uber and Heller case when it is uh, decided on its merits in the employment context or on the side of the of the worker? And sort of why does the case matter to them? Right. So sort of going back to the age-old distinction between an employee and a contractor, there's some sort of basics there where people often like to be called contractors and treated as contractors legally, primarily because they aren't taxed as much in Canada as a contractor as they would be as an employee. And there are other benefits like enjoying more freedom or flexibility in their work. But contractors are not afforded many of the same rights and legal protections as employees. So things like benefits, overtime pay, statutory pay, severance and termination pay. And so in our employment practice, we often see fights between individuals and employers where more commonly, they'll sort of start off the relationship and and say, yes, we're going to call this a contractor relationship. But when things go badly, the employee wants the rights and protections that an employee would get under the law. And so those fights go on all the time. But one of the significant differences here is this disruptive technology where Uber has come in and is acting as sort of a middle person in between the drivers and individuals and comes in um, a little bit differently than I think your your traditional middle person and says, you know, we have this wonderful technology that both you as a service provider, a contractor, want to use. And to be able to use that driver, you need to agree to our terms and you need to to pay us uh, something from your earnings. And consumers, we're going to contract with you to match you with service providers, in this case, drivers or, or delivery folks, because uh, this is in this case, it's Uber Eats. And we're going to charge you a fee for that as well and pass, you know, a standard rate that we determine we Uber determine onto the drivers. And so that's a bit of a different model. And I think there's an emerging economy in the development of this sort of platform. And we're seeing it in all sorts of areas from the provision of healthcare services, healthcare providers, counselors, and others being matched up with individuals uh, through platforms. That sort of leads into my next um, question, which was, you know, these companies are, are essentially tech companies. They're tech platform companies. Uh, and you just have to look to the phrase, you know, I want to make the next Uber for something or the Uber for something else. Um, and so looking at looking at it in the startup phase sort of brings the issues in relief uh, in a slightly different light. So Looking at it from the platform side, what could be the potential effects of of this ruling? As I understand it, the court has ruled that the arbitration provision was invalid um, and the matter is then proceeding, but it's nowhere near resolved on on its merits of of whether Mr. Heller is an employee or a contractor. But uh, what are the potential effects both for the Goliaths like the Ubers as well as uh, for the Davids or or the, the startups? Yeah, it's a big challenge, I think, for both of them. Really, it... Uh leaves the law in flux right now. And, and there are at least a couple 
sort of big markets, at least, um, where there are serious questions about, you know, the economics of these models right now. And just to, to put it plainly, if companies like Uber or even a startup has to provide full employment benefits and also monitor its drivers, for instance, or its other service providers, if it's a different business, uh, to make sure, for instance, they're not working overtime and and accruing uh, big overtime um, payables and that sort of thing. That's a big challenge for all of them. And it's risky. Uh, Right now, in California, there's a law that's been put forward um, that essentially is requiring businesses like Uber and Lyft to treat their drivers like employees. And Uber and Lyft, I understand, have threatened essentially to end their service delivery in the state of California because it's just not economic for them to do it under that model. And so they uh, petitioned the court and were granted at least some temporary injunctive relief on the application of that law in California. And, you know, as we tend to see in the law in other areas, California leads um, in certain things like that. And it's, uh, you know, it, it certainly is a leading part of the economy. So when businesses are looking to start up, they're looking at, at California as a leader and, and um, what's going on there. And if you're just in Canada and a lot of our clients who are looking to start up here in Canada, are facing some serious risks and have to contemplate whether they get into this business. As a startup, you know, the scale of risk is going to be smaller than it would be for an Uber or Lyft that already employ perhaps hundreds or thousands of drivers. But, you know, on a pro rata basis for those smaller startups, um, the risk may be too significant for them. And, uh, you know, we, we have a number of clients that are grappling with that. So Ryan, I wanted to shift the focus of the discussion slightly to uh, looking at things from the consumer perspective. When we talk about these companies that in effect are sort of matchmaking companies, they match someone who uh, wants to uh, reap the benefits of a service with someone who wants to provide the service. Um, One of the key questions that arises is what if something goes wrong uh, while you are a consumer? Do you look to the company like Uber or do you look to the person providing the service? And I'm looking at it from a sort of consumer protection standpoint. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating question. And another example of where the law still has to catch up to the new technology, because I think there are big questions uh, for consumers about that. And we don't really have many cases, uh, particularly in Canada, that, that help us there certain areas of of service provision are going to be regulated already so you know certain healthcare professions are regulated by their colleges and so um you know that's going to offer some protection and the providers uh, the platform providers that we work with in the healthcare space uh you know we help them navigate that and set it up because they've got to make sure that they're healthcare service providers are able to comply with their obligations, you know, under legislation and and professional rules and that sort of thing. Uh, And some of the transportation, as an example, uh, transportation uh, here in British Columbia is heavily regulated as well. And, um, you know, those uh, 
those companies that are offering ride sharing services um, have a, a long list um, of requirements and obligations under the transportation board here in British Columbia uh, and individuals have rights of complaint through them as well. But there are going to be other areas where that's not as clear. And certainly the platform providers are going to be including language in these terms of use that exclude all liability. Uh, those have yet to be tested really in court in Canada, but I anticipate that there will be some consumer uh, push and uh, potentially future political push to add protections for individuals that uh, don't exist. One thought that comes to mind just on that is, uh, and this is probably a question for another day, but um, you know we've heard of things on social media like the flattening of content where um, you know different sources mediated through something like Facebook all kind of look the same and have the same indicia of, of reliability. Um, from the side of these platforms, I suppose, you know, for, you know, for creative minds, is there, a, is there an argument that uh, as to the representation of reliability of their service providers as they may be rated through the site or at least promoted through the site by an entity that's, uh, uh, that is taking a fee for the connection? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's going to be hit and miss there. You won't often know who the provider is that you get. You know, I know having looked at some of the agreements, for instance, with the DoorDashes uh, and Uber Eats of the world and that sort of thing, many of the, for instance, the restaurants are requiring certain standards of service because they don't want their customers to be unhappy on the other end because of the fault of the driver. Um, but Consumers wouldn't necessarily know that those contractual protections uh, or standards are in place. And in a lot of cases, the parties aren't going to be able to bargain for them. So, um, you know, I think the market will push that to some degree, but um, I anticipate our society will have to weigh in in other ways. One other aspect, and as much on the consumer side as the tech aspect side is, what are the, some of the privacy issues that arise from this technology and the business model, both in terms of, I suppose, responsibility and opportunity? Yeah, it's fascinating. And, uh, and you know, as you note, the opportunity, I think we have even yet to realize a lot of these platform providers understand that they are as much or more in the business of collecting and assimilating data uh, as they are in the provision of the service itself. Um, and we certainly see some uses and spin-off uses from, um, from traffic patterns uh, and use for advertising, uh, whether that's roadside advertising or electronic advertising. Um, here in Canada, we're, we have more privacy protections and uh, these organizations are required to act within the limits of the law a little bit more than they are in the United States. My understanding is that uh, south of the border, there's um, much wider development of uh, profiles on individuals through all sorts of um, online services and companies. And uh, I think that's a little bit scary. Um, but it's, uh, but there's a lot of, of good I think that um, can be 
derived from the data as well. And um, it's interesting, typically that's sort of an entry point for me uh, often with these tech platforms is in Canada, these our clients are looking to comply with the law when they're, um, when they're collecting and, and using the information and um, they want to make sure that they've informed their users appropriately and understand what the limits and what they can do with that information. So there, there's some very interesting sort of use cases with the personal information, whether that's uh, location derived or um, related to their consumer habits or their personal health information. Those all raise different privacy issues and, you know, they can be tricky, but they sure are interesting and, and, uh, provide some interesting opportunities for businesses. Uh, Ryan, that ties into what I wanted to ask you next, which is um, looking forward, what do you see as some of the main legal issues on the horizon for uh, these online platforms? And I'm thinking of both from the perspective of the platforms, uh, the people who provide the services, and also actually for consumers as well. Gosh, what's next? Um, You know, I think that the platform, the technology is here to stay. People like it. Consumers like it. I think, you know, in California, Uber and Lyft say their drivers really like it. Um, and I certainly hear that, you know, they, they want to be able to pick and choose when they drive and who they drive, you know, what uh, rides they pick up and what rides they don't and have that freedom. Uh, and I think that's uh, proliferating into, you know, into other areas where people have more choice. And so these technologies are helping to enable it. There is money there. So, you know, there's a reason to to develop. And just going back to the Uber and Heller in Canada, it's still a big question as to whether the Uber Eats drivers are going to be employees. If the court says that they are, then that will have significant financial implications in Canada for all these sorts of businesses. But I'm not so sure it will necessarily be the dagger into their hearts. Entrepreneurs are savvy and uh, us lawyers try to be creative about how we can navigate the legalities, you know, to make sure that organizations and are protected and individuals are also protected and have the rights that they want. I do know, you know, some of our clients included who um, use these or, or have developed these technology platforms and offer them do treat their drivers, for instance, or other contractors quite well and provide them with uh, all sorts of positive benefits um, and support and training. And I think that uh, there's probably a way forward in the future, but we'll you know, we'll figure it out. The technology is, in most cases, the technology will lead and uh, the law will scramble to to catch up and um, hopefully we can at least just stay a a step or two ahead. Ryan, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and I hope we can have you back soon, not least to follow these developments as they come along, but to talk about other issues near and dear to your heart. It'd be my pleasure. Thanks again. Happy to chat with you today, yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you for joining us on Lawson Insight, and thanks again to Ryan Berger for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at LawsonLindell.com and subscribe to the podcast RSS feed. You can now find us on Apple or Spotify podcasts under Lawson Insight, that's all one word, 
And you can also stay up to date with the firm by connecting with the firm on Twitter using the handle at Lawson Lundell. Thanks for listening.